This is the first day of this July 2023 seven-day session. Before I begin with the text, um, just a, a word about uh, listening to Taisho. I'll repeat the instructions that Roshi Kaplow used to give, uh, which is that if, if you're able, uh, it's advisable to not look at the teacher while uh, during the Taisho, but just to listen. I think it's, it's uh, widely reported that when we can't, when we're not taking in visual data, uh, our, our sense of, of hearing, we listen better. Now, for people who are following this online, uh, who have uh, serious hearing impairment, um, the problem is that the the captioning may be kind of screwy. Uh, it may be even that word screwy. I wonder how that came out in the captioning. Um, and so I've been uh, I've been asked by one or two people to have a have a camera in in front of me to uh, so that the people can lip read. Um, but as things stand now, I'm told that the camera would have to be right in front of me, at three feet in front of me. Uh, and uh, that's just something I find uh, leaves me feeling too much like I'm giving a performance, which is not in the spirit of it. Uh, Roshi Kaplow used to say, and he, he used to his, quote this from his own teacher, Yasutani Roshi, that a teisho is more of a, uh, a presentation to the Buddha, a presentation of one's own understanding of uh, the Buddha Dharma. And that's why uh, you, f- you face the Buddha. I'm not up there at the altar with my back to the Buddha which, by the way, in some Buddhist traditions is, is a, practically a crime to ever turn your back to the Buddha. Uh, but more importantly, it's, it's, it's the teacher presenting his or her understanding to the Buddha and everyone else kind of listening in. So we're going to continue with what uh, we've done in recent years, which is uh, where I'm, I'm facing... Uh, most of the people in the zendo, but but back here, uh, at a distance, uh, facing primarily the Buddha. I'm sorry for those uh, who are unable to, uh, who are left stuck with the captioning, uh, but uh, I, this is the most I can do at this point. I'm going to start the Teisho, this session rather, with uh, reading from the teaching of the great Da Wei. And Da Wei uh, was, was born in 1088. 
This places him in the in the Sung dynasty. The two dynasties you always hear about with uh, the great masters uh, are the uh, Tang dynasty and the Sung dynasty. The Tang dynasty, very roughly, uh, uh, the uh, the 700s, 800s, and 900s. And then about 1,000, the Sung dynasty begins. And and there, the the Tang dynasty is widely, it's often called the golden age of Zen. So many of these great Chinese masters uh, lived then, taught then. But the uh, Sung dynasty also had its its great stars, and this was one of the one of the most illustrious of the Sung dynasty masters, Da Wei. By the way, it's spelled that last. The, fir- the first word is T A. The D. The T is spelled pronounced like a D, Da, and then the second word H U I. It's not We, as you'd think, but it's. I'm told is pronounced Hui, Da Wei. Just to get a sense of of uh, where Western culture was at that time, this and during his lifetime were the earlier Crusades, uh, the uh, the Cathedral of Notre Dame was built, and Oxford University was founded. I hope I'm not the only one who finds it interesting to hear what was going on uh, in the Western world uh, during these the lives of these great masters. I'm turning first to a great collection of biographical material on the masters, uh, and it's called Zen's Chinese Heritage, uh, the masters and their teachings. And I think these are mostly Tang Dynasty masters, but near the end of the book, we find Da Wei. And I'll just I'll keep it relatively brief because it can get kind of complicated. But uh, yeah, so he was born, uh, his years, his dates are 1088 to 1163. He was a disciple of the great Yuan Wu. Uh, Yuan Wu uh, is credited as the editor of the uh, Blue Cliff Records, the great great collection of koans, the Blue Cliff Records. And uh, very interesting to hear that, uh, that both Da Wei and his teacher, Yuan Wu, uh, really advanced the cause of women teachers. You know, we take this, I think, pretty much for granted uh, in our in our contemporary world, that of course there would be women teachers as well as men, but uh, in uh, in Tang Dynasty and even Sung Dynasty China, they were still beset with uh, these cultural prejudices, and most uh, most women, uh, however enlightened they were. Uh, didn't be received Dharma transmission, and that uh, really changed with Da Wei and his own teacher. Great uh, credit to their their uh, free thinking, their their spirit of liberty, that they wouldn't be bound by uh, old Chinese, ancient Chinese cultural uh, prejudices. You might well ask, wait a minute. What about those other earlier Chinese masters? If they're Zen masters, 
Why were they caught in that, uh, those prejudices? And uh, I don't have an answer for you, except that conditioning can run deep, especially if you're reared in a culture of, of certain conditioning. Uh, that's not much of an explanation, but I think it's the best we can do. It's unfortunately... So first, Dao Wei, before uh, getting to Yuan Wu, uh, he found some other master. I'm not going to clutter this up with a lot of different names, uh, but um, it says here uh, that uh, the master recognized Dao Wei's unusual ability and assigned him to work as his personal attendant. This has always been considered uh, especially in China and Japan, Korea, as a great honor to work as the personal attendant of the teacher. But it says, Dawei's obstinate personality clashed with his teacher, leading to an exchange in which the teacher ridiculed young Dawei. And he's saying, you haven't experienced enlightenment and the problem is your intellectual understanding. He seems to have been intellectually brilliant uh, before and after enlightenment. We're continuing here with... uh, this, this translation of the old, the old records by uh, Andy Ferguson. I don't remember if I said his name. He's the, the editor of this huge collection of biographical material. Uh, after six months had passed, Da Wei asked... Oh, okay, first he went then. He went to Yuan Wu, and uh, he asked Yuan Wu, I've heard that previously you questioned Wu Zhu about this phrase but I don't know what he answered. And Yuan Wu laughed, just laughed. He didn't reply. Uh, so Da Wei said, at that time you posed this question to everyone. Why not say it again now? We're, we're, we're getting to the phrase. Yuan Wu said that he had asked his teacher, what is the meaning of the phrase, it is words without words, a creeper held up by a tree. And then his teacher had answered, you can't trace it, it can't be drawn. And then again, Yuan Wu, responding to Da Wei, that he, he asked his teacher, when the tree has fallen down and the creeper has withered, it is the creeping vine, has withered, what then? And his teacher, Wu Zhu, said, see what comes next. And at those words, Da Wei came to enlightenment. And he said, I understand. To which Yuan Wu then posed some questions, some probing questions to test Da Wei. And Da Wei replied to each one without hesitation. And then uh, he, Da Wei became the abbot 
of a certain temple. Um, and I uh, got all snarled up in the political turmoil of uh, 12th century China. I guess I'm not going to get into that. But uh, except to say that Dai Wei was caught up in the fallout of some episode and was forced to flee with his monks to another province. Uh, in the year 1150, Da Wei and his monks were forced by social unrest to move again. This is this time even far- farther. Their plague and famine killed more than half of them. More, more than half of the hundred monks in Dawei's group. Just to stop and, and consider this. So we've heard now from massive political unrest, social unrest, plague, and famine. We think we have problems today, and we do, for sure, but it's, it's nothing original in what we're going through. And then social conditions improved. Dawei was invited to move to a certain temple. In the years that followed, and this is important, Dawei emphasized that the goal of all practice is the realization of enlightenment. That's what he emphasized. And yet, my impression is that um, the goal of coming to awakening is something that isn't heard much in uh, our contemporary Western uh, centers, Zen centers. It's much, much, much more common to hear Zen teachers say, well, we have this originally enlightened mind, this Bodhi mind. And let's leave it at that. And yes, enlightenment confirms that, that every one of us, without exception, is endowed with this enlightened nature. But until we awaken to it, It's not really functioning in our lives as it could be. There are are more than a few Zen centers where the word enlightenment, uh, now as distinguished from original enlightenment, the the word enlightenment or awakening to the original enlightenment is is almost uh, a taboo. We don't talk about that. To talk about awakening is to divide the indivisible. After all, we're all enlightened. Well, yes.
but it's it's such such a sellout to not acknowledge to not acknowledge the possibility of awakening and that possibility is fully viable in this sashin this week it's within everyone's reach everyone Beginners, how could it not be within our reach when our original nature is enlightenment? This is our nature. Just uh, one or two little anecdotes here uh, in this book. Uh, da Wei once said to the assembly of monks, every day persons who practice the way should investigate others' efforts and they should always examine their own efforts. In this manner, they cannot help but be successful in practicing the way, the Tao whether they're joyous, angry, at peace, or troubled, all these occasions are times for examination. In the course of a seven-day session, or even a five-day session, even fewer days, we go through one state of mind after another. It's inevitable. We've got this practice we're working on, breath, a breath practice, a koan, a shikantaza. But however much we stick to it, what it does is expose our issues, the stuff in the mind, come up. They find their way to the surface, memories or even aside from memories, emotional states. It's, uh, it's quite a ride, a session, as anyone knows who's been to even one, especially a seven-day. And when he says these are all occasions for times for examination, we don't make, we don't analyze these states of mind as they come up. That's, that's not what we're doing here. 
just by focusing, holding to the practice of working on, they, they are revealed. Uh, they arise to the surface. Uh, and, and it's enough just to see them, to notice them. Habit forces, emotional thought patterns, things that keep repeating themselves in our lives, reactions, all the different kinds of reactivity, these are all going to be on display this week. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the process. It's part of the, the illumination process. The key thing is, even while seeing them, uh, not dwelling in them, not making stories about them. Because if we do, we're just clinging to the I. Here's one more uh, anecdote. Zen Master Dawei was sitting and relaxing in his quarters when he suddenly said, These days, the brethren, the monks, gain their understandings with intellect and emotion. Many of them just recall some idle talk or catchy phrases and bring them in here to use as their answers to my questions. It's as if they have a priceless jewel in their hand And when someone asks them, what's in your hand, they drop it, then pick up a lump of dirt. So stupid. If they keep on like this, they'll never gain enlightenment. Apparently, uh, there was a lot more of this going on in Dawei's time than in our time. Monks coming in, having memorized the words of the masters, maybe, you know, chunks of koans, and they're all primed to respond accordingly when they're asked a question. I I don't see that at all. I never see people doing that, which is, I feel very privileged uh, that we don't have to go through that. That's not what Doksan is about. He's talking about Doksan. People would come come to his quarters, and ask questions, or he'd ask them, and and this is what they'd come up with, all of this stuff they had memorized. Zen practice is not about memorizing anything. It's bringing forth what's authentic in the moment. And then I'll just read the <clears throat> uh, the, the some of the details of his dying. Uh, This was the year 1163. A falling star fell to the west of the temple with a terrifying flash. And then Dawei suddenly became slightly ill. Uh, His disciples inquired about his health. Dawei exerted himself and said in a loud voice, tomorrow I'm setting off on a journey. 
And the next day, he personally wrote his testimonial. Uh, and then he wrote a farewell letter to another, one of his students. And then the monks uh, pestered him to compose a verse in large brush strokes. This, this was a tradition lasted for some hundreds of years where uh, the master on his deathbed would write a verse, a final verse. And so uh, he did so. But this is what he wrote with his brush. Birth is thus, death is thus. Verse or no verse, what's the fuss? That's the, the end of the biographical material that we have. And now I'm going to go to switch text to a book I've often read from, as did Roshi Kaplow. It's called Swampland Flowers, The Letters and Lectures of Zen Master Da Wei. I see from my notes, I try to date everything when I read from these books so that I don't repeat the same material too often. And uh, I see that uh, the last time I read from this book, which was in 2020, I uh, left off uh, on page 40, 43, so that's where I'm going to pick up uh, now. And here's, here's how it goes. The Buddha preached all doctrines to save all minds. I have no mind at all, so what's the use of any doctrines? No mind, I'm sure most of you know, this is a Zen phrase. No mind means a mind that's free. A mind that's not caught in conceptualization. A mind that is fully present, responsive. say that this whole week we're trying to reach a state of no-mindedness. Dao Wei continues, basically there is nothing in any doctrine and no mind in mind. The emptiness of mind and things both is their real character. Again, I have to pause here. He's touching on the very essence of of the Buddha Dharma, the very essence, that that all phenomena, physical phenomena, mental phenomena, thoughts, emotions, feelings, all phenomena are without substance. There's no roots. There's no roots to anything. Everything is in flux. one way to understand emptiness. Everything is in flux, so there is no thing that when we, when we point to it uh, is the same after we point to it. This is what 
in uh, Sanskrit is known as shunyata, the teaching of emptiness, no thingness. And it is, again, it is the essence, is the essential nature of all things, all people. That is our nature, every one of us is devoid of any fixed substance, any fixed self. He continues, But these days, students of the way often fear falling into emptiness. Those holding such views misapprehend expedient means and take the disease for the medicine. They are to be pitied deeply. Well, the medicine, again, is emptiness, seeing into the emptiness of all things. But it is a very, very, very basic human fear of disappearing. Losing the self. This is the irony that what we need to do most to achieve liberation is to lose this attachment to the self. And yet, it is probably the deepest human fear is disappearing. Isn't that what death is? The fear of death is the the fear of disappearing. No self. And so the, the hours and hours of sitting we do every day in Sashin is a way to lead us, lead us into this realm, lead us beyond our attachment to the self, our bondage to the self. And by, by the way, the self just means our ideas about who we are. And if we can just, in this in this journey, in this move beyond our comfort zone of the self, uh, if we can just trust the practice we're working on, just that, completely trust it, then we will be led beyond uh, the shackles of uh, this self-image, self-thought, and uh, find our, ourselves free. And he quotes uh, Layman Pong, one of the, the great enlightened lay people uh, of, uh, of early Zen, Chinese Zen. Don't be averse to falling into emptiness. Falling into emptiness isn't bad. He also said, Just vow to empty all that exists. Don't make real that which doesn't exist. In other words, see the fundamental emptiness of everything that supposedly exists. And don't reify it. Don't keep making it real in your mind by dwelling in it conceptualizing about it or yourself or others. 
And then he says, Dawei says, if you can see through this one saying, then the ignorance born of boundless evil deeds will instantly melt away and disperse. Even the great, the whole great Buddhist canon preached by the Tathagata, that's the Buddha, cannot explain this one sentence. Again, the one sentence is just vow to empty the, all that exists. Vow to, to see the formlessness of form, the emptiness of all things, the no-thingness of this world of things. But even that, to say that, you don't want to make a project out of that. You don't need to. That's not going to get you there. It's, it's to just reach single-minded absorption in your practice. Forget about the word emptiness. Forget about even that sentence, that uh, one sentence. Forget about emptying all that exists. It happens on its own through single-minded absorption in the practice. Apparently, this is a letter he's <clears throat> he's writing to a disciple by the name of Chen. Because then, uh, a paragraph later, he says, Buddhist disciple Chen, you have realized that personal existence is false and that things are illusory. So I would take that to mean that you've had an initial glimpse into the formlessness of form. You've had a, you've had a what in. Japan would be called Kensho, which can be very, very slight. He continues, Dawe, amidst illusory falsehood, you were able to contemplate the saying, a dog has no Buddha nature. Because, of course, the koan mu. Suddenly, while washing your face, you found your nose and sent me a letter expressing your understanding trying your hand at explaining Chan, Zen. This was like a three-day-old tiger cub who already has the spirit to devour an ox. The message you conveyed, though, was like a lucky monkey hitting the ground with a stick. Where it hit, it went in a few inches, but where it missed, it had no grasp of the issue at all. Though in the main, your basis is already correct, you are not yet clear about the great Dharma. This is a common disease of beginners entering the first barrier. If you can realize such a thing, push it to one side and take the essential gate of all the Buddhas and patriarchs and shut it at once. Only if you find a life on the other side of the primordial Buddha will you gain mastery of the Dharma. So he's saying, good, good. You've entered the first gate, you got a little taste. Uh, It's more than most people do in their whole life. But now, don't settle for that. That's not going to take you very far. 
And then he ends this letter by saying, just get the root. Don't worry about the branches. Over a long, long time, it will sink in thoroughly. Don't worry that you won't attain oneness. Work on it. Just get the root. The essence. The essence that this world of thingness is no thing. Don't worry about the branches. The branches are all the, the, uh, the various aspects of Zen practice, the prostrations, the chanting, the devotions. Certainly all of the, all the ways that uh, we engage with the world, you could say these are the, the branches. A tree, there's no tree without a root. Got to get to the root. Sashins are, are dedicated to realizing the root, the essence. But then... We leave Sashin, and now we're back in the, the branches and the leaves. There's no tree without branches and leaves. We need both. But this week, this week, is where we have the best chance of our lives to realize the root. That means just single-minded absorption in the one practice we're working on, not being concerned with other people, other things, comparing oneself to others. This is a huge one, huge. People waste so much time thinking, that's the word, thinking about themselves as compared to others, imagining what others are, are going through or uh, achieving, saying in Doksan, what other, others, others, others. There's no others in Sashin in this respect. It's just mood, just the questioning. It's just one week. You have all the other weeks of the year, 51 weeks of the year, we can, can learn about the, the, the trees, the, the leaves and the branches. Here is our chance to get to the root. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.